Hello, everybody. I'm Tim Muma. Welcome to localjobnetwork.com radio. This is Management Decisions, where we focus on topics that affect employers, human resources personnel, and upper management. Of course, that would include hiring and the ways in which individuals are potentially weeded out or even given preference. Our guest, Joe Gerstant, warns all those in those positions to hire to check for your personal bias blind spot. Now, Joe is a diversity and inclusion speaker, as well as an author and advisor, and he joins us here on LJN Radio. Joe, how's it going today? That's good. How are you today? I'm doing very well. I appreciate you coming on the show. And of course, an area that's very important and uh, one our listeners often ask about. I wanted to start the conversation, though, by sort of getting an idea of where you're coming from with this and asking, what do you or how do you define bias when it comes to hiring and why do you think it still exists in our world today? Well, I think the way in which I come to this conversation is I do diversity and inclusion work. Uh, that's the area that I focus on in, in all of my work. And I think one of the things that makes this work pretty challenging is that I think we, we're holding on to a, a faulty and kind of antiquated idea that there are good people in the world and good people are unbiased and non-judgmental and they're open-minded. And then there are bad people hmm. and bad people are biased and judgmental and they're not open-minded. And so as long as that framework is in place, or as long as that's our paradigm, then diversity and inclusion work is kind of about finding bad people and fixing them. And, <laughs> and unfortunately, I think that is intentionally or unintentionally the way most diversity and inclusion work is done. And I think that, you know, we know enough today about human beings, about human nature, about the human mind, especially to know that there is no such thing as a non-judgmental human being. We're all judgmental. It doesn't require any hatred or fear for me to be judgmental, the only thing required for me to be judgmental is for me to be awake and to be around other human beings. Sure. So whether we are recruiters or managers or teachers, you know, regardless of what our role is, if we want to make more accurate decisions about people, if we want to make more evidence-based decisions about people, then we have to, we have to remember that, that we are naturally judgmental, that we make assumptions, that we jump to conclusions, that we give things a lot of meaning. And we need to, we need to remember that that's true so that we can do things to mitigate that. I, I don't think it requires a lot of work, but it starts with letting go of this idea that because I'm a good person and I don't hate people, that I'm, that I'm non-judgmental. That, mm-hmm. that simply isn't true. We're, we're naturally and automatically judgmental. We're very quickly judgmental. It's probably one of the reasons we've survived this long as a species. <laughs> but this, this idea that we are you know, non-judgmental if we're a good person, I think, is, you know, is a big part of the challenge. So I, I, I try to push back on that right. and help folks realize that you know, a certain amount of this is natural. It's, it's only amplified by things like hatred and fear and bigotry. You know, unfortunately, a lot of times that's what this conversation is focused on. It's focused on hatred and fear. And those are real things, but I think they're actually a pretty small part of the larger diversity and inclusion conversation. Well, and isn't that where uh, I think you mentioned that the word bias maybe is misunderstood in a way? As you mentioned, there's the sort of that extra piece where it gets to hatred and bigotry. But bias in and of itself, as you said, just sort of exists and, and it's a part of, of really everyday life. Do you see that as, as being an issue? Do we need to find a different term to, to help separate that a little bit? Yeah, I, I do think, I think a lot of the language around diversity and inclusion is kind of politically and emotionally charged. And I mm-hmm. think bias is one of those words. We've associated bias with hatred and bigotry and ignorance. And that's why I've, I I'm more and more use the phrase blind spots. Sure. You know, kind of some natural blind spots in our thinking. Some folks talk about unconscious bias and unintentional bias. There's, I think there's a few different ways to talk about it, but I do think that bias is one of the one of the tricky things. As soon as that word comes up or, or prejudice comes up, 
I think folks have some kind of narrow definitions or narrow expectations of that. And uh, again, they're kind of, you know, related to that extreme stuff, the hatred, the fear, the bigotry. You know, I'm, I'm trying to have a different part of the conversation than those things. Right. With that in mind, if you wouldn't mind, could you give the listeners maybe a couple ideas of what you're talking about when we're speaking of sort of that natural bias or, or examples in the workplace where it sort of happens or it's accepted in a lot of cases, but we don't necessarily recognize it as being bias or bigotry, as you've mentioned? Well, I think unexamined, I think a lot of it happens. And I think, you know, the, the way that it happens a lot of times in, for example, a hiring interview. I don't think that most people in the workplace today, most recruiters, most hiring managers, most coworkers are going into meet with a job applicant with, you know, the intentional thoughts in their mind of, you know, I would never hire someone from this group. Or I would never want to work with a man or I'd never want to work with a woman. Right. I don't think there's a lot of that. There's some of that, you know, in all honesty, there is still some of that. But I think, I think most people don't have those thoughts. They really want to go into that interview and they want to try to identify the best person for the job. But I think how some of this stuff shows up is that we interpret people's behavior differently based on who they are okay. because of stereotypes and because of the assumptions that we make. So two people may behave very differently in the interview, but because of some aspect of their identity, one of them might be viewed as seeing, as being assertive and one of them might be viewed as being aggressive. The behavior hmm. might be very similar, almost the same, but because there's some different stereotypes attached to different social groups and a lot of times the assumptions that we make are informed by those stereotypes, that's how I think it starts to show up you know, unexamined if we're not doing stuff to push back on that. I think that, you know, things like that happen quite a bit. And again, it's it's not intentional. It's not because you dislike a group or fear a group or hate a group, but it's because, you know, we get a lot of stereotypical images and ideas about different social groups. And if we're not doing stuff to push back on it, those stereotypical ideas and images oftentimes inform some of those initial decisions that we make about a person. You know, I don't think a whole lot of that happens between people that have known each other for a year or five years or 10 years. But mm -hmm. when we first get to know each other, right. when we're first interacting with each other, because we don't really know anything about each other, we have to make some assumptions. We have to jump to some conclusions. And so what I see and what I hear and what that means to me really plays a big role in those, in those early interactions. On a smaller scale, an example you had mentioned I thought was interesting was the idea that uh, a person is only going to hire extroverts if they're in the, the sales industry, because it, obviously it would be believed that they're better salespeople. So obviously right. a lot of people see the, you know, they think of gender or race or, or maybe just demographics as a whole. But, um, but I think you had some nice examples in that, in that article as well, talking about and these little things that are just believed as, as you mentioned. Right. Uh, and I, I know a couple of people that, that have said that to me, they're, they're very serious about sales. They're good salespeople and they, you know, consciously seek out extroverts for salespeople. And there might be some good research out there that says, you know, there's a strong tendency for extroverts to be better salespeople than introverts, but there's always some exceptions to the rule. Mm -hmm. So if we, whether it's based on an idea or whether it's based on some research, if we make it, you know, an ironclad rule, we're going to miss some really good salespeople because they don't fit into some idea. One of the ways this shows up a lot in my life is I get to speak at a lot of conferences. And I am chronically underdressed. And I, a lot of times we'll show up and speak at a conference in a t-shirt and jeans and tennis shoes. Sure. And sometimes I'll be talking at the conference about this topic, about how we do make judgments. We make judgments based on what we see and what we hear. That happens all the time. And a lot of times after I get done presenting, a couple of people will run up to me and they'll say, you know, I just love it that you're 
just the way that you are. You're just down to earth. You're more approachable than other speakers. It's very cool that you're dressed casually. It's refreshing. And then from that same session, you know, a day or two days later, I'll get an email from a couple of people and they'll say, Dear Mr. Gerstant, you know, I really loved what you had to say, but I could have taken you a little bit more seriously if you'd have been dressed more professionally. Mm -hmm. People are really, really liking me simply because of the way that I'm dressed and some people are disliking me. And none of that has anything to do with, with what I said or the or the value or the validity of, of my message. But right. it's an example of how we do make judgments, right? To some people, dressing casually means good things and to some people it means bad things. But, you know, the truth be told, there could be a thousand reasons. Sure. Dressed in jeans. You know, I might be dressed in jeans just to get those reactions. You know, my luggage might not have made the trip. <laughs> but, but the fact is, those people assigned it meaning based on what it meant to them. Right. And I think you know we do that all the time. I don't think, I don't think we can stop doing that. I think that's part of the brain's job. And again, if we just want to make more accurate, more evidence-based decisions about people, if we want to be better at truly identifying the best person for the job, I think that's the kind of stuff that. We just have to keep it in front of us and, and do some things uh, to keep it in check. One of, you know, I think one of the most powerful practices that someone can do when they're making decisions about other people is look for and challenge assumptions. Hmm. You know, do I know this about this person or do I think I know this? Because I think, again, especially early on when we don't have a lot of real information, we don't have a lot of real data about a person, I think assumptions are a pretty big part of the equation. And uh, keeping focused on the difference between what I know what I think I know, I think, um, is an example, a simple, but a, a powerful way to do some of that. I think uh, the next time you speak, you should get a, a suit that's a little too big for you and wear wear those casual clothes under the suit. So you can wear the suit for like half of your speech and then go ahead and rip that off. And that way you can you can appease everybody. Because as, as yeah, you kind of alluded yeah, to there, you're not going to make everybody happy, by the way, as a, as a sort of a side note on that. But I'd give it yeah, a shot. No, that, that's, <laughs> yeah, that, that might be a good idea. That, there might be some interesting feedback that comes from that. And you know what? Some people are going to complain that you did that, by the way. So Probably, yeah. Probably. <laughs> now, part of this is, uh, is the obvious fact that, especially when it's something negative towards ourselves or perceived as negative, that we have trouble recognizing it. And as you've alluded to in, in some articles I've read of yours, that that's obviously the case here with bias as well. But why do you think that is the case? And even if we are sort of aware of it, that we have trouble recognizing it in ourselves? Most of us consider ourselves to be good people. I think we consider ourselves to be good people. I think we want to be good people. And so, again, because bias is, you know, one of these kind of politically charged, emotionally charged words, and it's not a word that we associate with being good people, I think it's much easier for me to buy in the idea that I'm not judgmental. I'm a good person. I'm open-minded. I don't judge a book by its cover. My mother didn't raise me that way. I think it's really easy to buy into that stuff because it, you know, it, it confirms the idea that I'm a good person. Do you almost make excuses then? I mean, it, to sort of make sure that you're telling yourself it's okay? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think if you look at social psychology research, there's, there's some evidence that that happens. We, you know, because of the confirmation bias, mm. because of cognitive dissonance, you know, we, we pay attention to certain things and we tend to overlook other things. And, and as long as we hold on to this idea that, you know, bias is it's only really an issue for bad people, then if I'm a good person, obviously I'm not a biased person. And so I don't, I don't have any work to do. And that's why I think, you know, talking about using different language, talking about blind spots, talking about assumptions, in my experience, especially when you give some examples, you know, share some of your own examples and you share a little bit of the research. I think people kind of let their guard down a little bit and they're much more open to exploring the idea 
and realizing that there's a little bit more of this conversation than the hatred and the fear and those types of things. Sure. Well, obviously, uh, you know, you have a, a quite a solid handle on this. As you said, the idea of bias or all these assumptions are always going to exist in some way, part of the human element. What would you offer to our listeners, though, as maybe some tips to combat this? Some ways, and I know you've mentioned some little things here or there, but even if it comes down to, I'm sure you've seen the the conversation of Joe versus Jose and, and names on a resume and how that yep. can impact, yep. you know, the influence. Uh, what tips would you offer up to those that are in hiring positions to try to, as best they can, recognize their biases, their assumptions, or eliminate those blind spots as best as possible? Yeah, well, I've seen some pretty good research that shows, you know, especially when you're trying to just consider who's to come in for an interview and those types of things, anything you can do to remove identifying information like names is pretty helpful. I've seen some pretty good research that shows that group hiring decisions Mm. tend to be much less biased than individual bias decisions. You get a group of people together and they can kind of start to check each other's blind spots. Sure. Pretty good research that came out of Harvard. I think that was just past year, the Harvard Business School uh, released a pretty interesting study on that. I think on an individual level, um, you know, looking for and challenging assumptions is pretty good. I think if you're, if you're considering applicants as a group, doing a little bit of that together, looking for and challenging assumptions, asking yourselves collectively, what do we know about this person versus what do we think we know? One of the things that I think has proven to be pretty powerful in my own life is that I have continued to bring a lot more diversity into my personal and professional networks of relationships. And I think the more people that you know from any social group, the much less likely you are to automatically rely on stereotypical ideas and images about that group because you have offsetting images. Mm -hmm. I grew up, you know, in a very rural community, interacted with very little diversity growing up. And when I was, when I was 18 years of age, old enough to, enlist in the Marine Corps and go travel the world, I had things that I thought I knew about a whole bunch of groups of people. When I went out and interacted with real-life human beings, I realized that I just had collections of stereotypes. I didn't even know that there were stereotypes until I started to bump into people that didn't meet my expectations. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, anything you can do to bring more, you know, the research that I've looked at says that our personal and professional networks are pretty siloed and pretty segregated. I think that makes stereotypes more powerful. So anything you can do to bring more diversity into your own networks, I think, is is a pretty valuable thing. Expose yourselves, continue to expose yourselves to different different groups, different life experiences, different stories and narratives is pretty powerful. I think all of those are all fairly small things, but I think keeping focused on the fact that some of this happens and you've got to do something to mitigate it, making some small efforts towards it, I think that goes a long way. Sure. One issue or concern that I've heard come up from people is, can you go too far the other way, so to speak, and that, you know, well, I don't want to be biased against women, so I'm really going to seek out more women. I'm going to really make an effort to get more diversity in here, which again, we understand diversity being important. How do you discuss that side of it? How would you ease some of the concerns somebody would have there of, of sort of going too far the other way? I think at the end of the day, this is still about hiring the best people. Mm. It's always been a little bit confusing to me why people assume that by focusing on diversity, we're automatically deprioritizing talent. And, and from my perspective, this is about truly having a focus on talent. We can't really be serious about talent unless we're trying to remove some of this natural bias that shows up in our decision-making and related activities. And so we still want to make sure that we're hiring the best person for the job. We don't ever want to hire someone just because they're from a particular social group. But I think that we've got to continue to work to make sure that our processes are inclusive and are bringing a diverse mix in. I think if our applicant pool isn't diverse, then something's called 
we should be paying attention to it. We should make sure that our applicant pool is diverse because we want to reach out to talent regardless of what the packaging is. So making sure that the talent pool is, the applicant pool is diverse, and then trying to do a good job of removing and checking and mitigating some of that natural bias and judgment stuff that shows up in that process. And I think we're going to do a much better job of, of building the most talented workforce that we can. Well, with that, I think a good spot for us to leave off here on this edition of Management Decisions. Again, we've been talking about the idea of bias or maybe a better term, blind spot, and looking to avoid that when you're hiring and looking for the best talent. As our guest has been talking about today, his name is Joe Gerstand. He is a diversity and inclusion speaker as well as an author and advisor, and you can find him on his website at joegerstand.com. That's J-O-E-G-E-R-S-T-A-N-D-T. Joe, thanks a lot for coming on. I think a very important conversation to continue to have, and hopefully uh, our listeners will be able to take some points away that you've brought up and help in their own professional careers. So thanks a lot for coming on. You bet. Thanks for having me, man. Of course, as usual, you can go ahead and contact us by sending an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also find us on Twitter at the LJN. We'd love to converse with you there also. For everyone here at LJN Radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.